On November 19th, 1863, there was a new national cemetery that was going to be dedicated at the site of one of the deadliest battles in the Civil War. 15,000 people attended the ceremony, where the main speaker was a guy named Edward Everett. He spoke for about two hours in a well-received speech, which I don't know how that could be in two hours. <laughs> um, but uh, he spoke about the battle and how it was a turning point in the war. And... Um, then the speaker for the dedication for the cemetery got up, and he only took a few minutes. And uh, the then president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, who was apparently in the beginning stages of smallpox at that point, like a, a mild case of smallpox, gave what it became one of the most famous speeches in history, what we call the Gettysburg Address. And in just 10 sentences, beginning with four score and, uh, seven years ago, President Lincoln sent up his thoughts on the war as well as dedicated the cemetery to those who had fallen in that fierce battle. And when you compare the two speeches, Everett's was the one that was supposed to be the more important one, like he was the keynote speaker for it. But Lincoln's is far better remembered. Sometimes brevity and conciseness are more memorable and can be more powerful than being long-winded. And so in light of that, thank you for coming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Last week, we started our new ser sermon series called Summer in the Psalms. We're taking one psalm a week, and we're going to see how we can apply it to our lives. And this week, we're going to look at probably what is the most famous of all 150 psalms, and that's the 23rd. Like Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, Psalm 23 is brief, but that doesn't make it any less powerful or memorable than any of the others. In fact, it's probably one of the most memorized passages in Scripture, and uh you know, it's used in a whole bunch of different settings, like preaching a message like today or at a funeral where we're trying to comfort those who've lost somebody. As we start, I just want to read through the whole psalm in full, and then we'll break it down as we go through the verses. And I'm going to read from the NIV, and so if you have memorized this in the King James, it's going to sound a little bit different, but we'll talk about that when we get into each verse. So Psalm 23, it's a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like many of the Psalms in the Psalter, we're told that David is the author of this one. David was the second king of the nation of Israel, and he is directly credited as the author of 73 Psalms in the book. And he's attributed to others by writers in the New Testament. So that gives us half of the Psalms that are written by one person, David. One of the questions that comes up is how old David would have been when he wrote this psalm. In 1 Samuel, we're introduced to him as a young man, a boy really, he's tending his father's flocks in a field when he is anointed as the next king of Israel. We then follow him all the way to and through his reign as king until his death in 1 Kings. And so how old was he when he wrote this psalm? A prevailing thought that I saw was uh, he would have been older because as we read through it, there's a sense of wisdom and maturity that you probably wouldn't have as a younger man. 
And it's something that comes over time, right? Even for somebody who is a man after God's own heart. All right, so we set everything up. So let's take a deeper look at this important and powerful psalm. And we'll start with verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. David describes the Lord as a shepherd. In this verse, he uses the Lord's personal name, that Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. He says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Now, let's think about what a shepherd does for his sheep. They're, they're responsible for leading their sheep, for feeding them, for finding places where they can rest, for protecting them from dangers like predators. And sheep need this, really, because as I found out during my time as a youth pastor and having kids that are in 4-H and have worked with sheep, I've learned sheep are dumb. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen a few videos, used them for youth group, of sheep being dumb, and like this one here. It's like, why did he jump? Well, then there's, then there's this one. Here's one I found more recently. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Shepherd. (laughs) I think I've. Oh, there we go. Okay. My goodness. Um, Yeah, sheep aren't the smartest animals, apparently, and they need somebody to watch over them. That's why you need a shepherd, right? Now, in biblical times, shepherds are not the most well-looked-upon people in the world, people group. Um, So when we think about God being compared to a shepherd, I mean, that's kind of a lowly position. It's one that somebody wouldn't necessarily seek out, but that is, it's it's a job that's needed. So let's talk about the second part of the verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Now, if you know this passage from the King James, that you know that there's a difference here in the wording. The King James Version goes like this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So in the word, the, even though the words are different, the meaning's actually the same. While the King James says, I shall not want, its meaning is, I shall want for nothing. There's nothing that I need. I lack nothing because the Lord is my shepherd. As a shepherd, the Lord leads his flock. He feeds them. He finds them a place to rest. He protects them. What more do we truly need? This verse introduces the rest of the psalm, which then expands on that very theme of how the Lord shepherds his people. And so we'll continue in verse 2, where he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. I see four ways that the Lord shepherds his people here in these two verses. First one is he makes me lie down. He leads me, he refreshes me, and he guides me. So let's look at these individually. First, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures are where sheep would feed, right? Shepherd loves his sheep. He desires to take care of them, and so he brings them to to places where they can eat well. And the same is true for our Heavenly Father. 
He brings us to the places where we can find nourishment specifically in his word. Like we saw last week in Psalm 1, it's, it's being that tree that's rooted in the ground next to the stream, being constantly fed by the word. And the same is true here. The, sheep, the shepherd makes his sheep lie down in the green pastures. When we lie down, we're finding rest and leisure where we're at. I know when I lie down on my couch, I'm going to find rest and leisure where I'm at in the form of a nap. God has prepared this. He, he brings us to where we can find rest and find nourishment in his word. As one commentary puts it, we find rest as we look to the green pastures in the word of God. We're either grazing in those pastures or we're straying from our shepherd. Second way the Lord shepherds is that he leads me beside quiet waters. Sheep are led by shepherds. Many times they lead from the front. The sheep know the shepherd's voice and will follow their shepherd only. There was a husband and wife who were missionaries in uh, Palestine, and they talked about seeing shepherds all bringing their flocks to the same watering place, and they get all mingled up together. And one of these shepherds, when they were ready to leave, they would make a certain sound, and immediately his sheep separated themselves from the others and followed him. They knew his voice, and they followed him. Here's a great example of this on YouTube. The video's a little longer, so I'm, I always get worried that we're going to get kicked off our live stream. So just search. If, if you go home today, you know, search something like sheep knowing their shepherd's voice, and you'll, you'll find it. Um, but what you'll see is there are a few, like, tourists probably, and they're trying to call this flock of sheep that are out grazing in the grass. And they give it their best shot. They, they do these... Some of them just laugh the whole time, but they're, they're trying to call out to these sheep. And most of the sheep, they might look at them, and most of the time they're just going to keep eating. But then the shepherd gets up there, and he calls out to them with his call, and you see all of their heads turn. And then all of a sudden they start coming down, and he walks along, and then they're all just following him. And it's a lot of sheep. It's pretty neat. Our Lord will lead us as well. He knows our name. He calls us. And he leads us, this time beside quiet waters or still waters in the King James. Some of my research this week, I read that most sheep tend to prefer still water over running water, that they tend to be weary around or wary around uh, running water. Part of that reason is if they get their coats, you know, wet, they get heavy, and then, then it's hard for them to, uh, uh, you know, if they get sucked into the sucked into the thing, if they fall into the river or whatever. Um, they will die. <laughs> None of that was written down. <laughs> this is why I stay on my, <laughs> on my thing. Anyway, shepherd's going to lead them to a still watering area where they can be comfortable, they can be confident, and you know, they can go without fear. The Lord will shepherd his people to areas where they can be nourished with food and drink. Okay, so after these, David has a third trait, that he refreshes my soul. These are a few ways that this verse can be interpreted. There, there are a few ways that it can be interpreted. It can picture a stray sheep that's being brought back into the fold. You know, like Jesus says, uh, that he leaves the 99 to go find the one and bring it back into the fold. It's a picture of repentance. It, it would be where the King James would use the word restoreth instead of refreshed. Another way it could be a picture of spiritual renewal, more than simply refreshment. But it could just be the Lord's revival of his sheep. 
Like if we're down, if we're running low on energy, it feels like we, the weight of the world is coming down on us and, and we don't know where else to turn. Well, the Lord sees and he knows what's going on. He's going to lead you to find refreshment and revival, reviving your very soul. And the last way that the Lord shepherds is that he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Like we said before, the sheep are going to follow their shepherd. He walks from the front and they follow him, which means that he's got to know where he's going. He's got to know which way is safe. He's got to know what the right path is. And the same is true for the Lord. Of course, he knows the right path. He, we just need to trust him and follow him. And again, this brings us back to Psalm 1, like we looked at last week, where the author wrote of the two paths that we can take. Only two, right? There's that path that leads to destruction, but there's a path that leads to righteousness. And the Lord is going to lead us down that path to righteousness. He gives us direction. He guides us down that pathway. And he does it for his name's sake, meaning he's doing it for who he is. It's his reputation, One commentator describes it like this. He says, his guidance is then in keeping with his holiness, his love, his faithfulness, his wisdom, and all that he has revealed himself to be. The Lord cares for us. He shepherds us by having us lie down where he's going to feed us. He leads us. He refreshes us. He guides us. And then we'll also see that he protects us in the darkest valley. In 2016, there's a pretty amazing news story that came out of Seattle Man saw a spider in the laundry room of his house. Now, he was, he was afraid of spiders, which I can completely understand. Spiders are the worst. Before you come at me and say, you know, Nick, they're a necessary part of God's creation. I don't care. They're still the worst. Um, they can be a necessary part outside of my house. So this guy sees a spider, and he's deciding he's going to kill it. Because you can't have a spider running around in the house, especially in the laundry room. Can you imagine, like, if you like, fell into your laundry and you're folding it? You ever see arachnophobia? Like, that's what would have happened in that movie. So he decides he's going to take care of the spider. Does he go get a shoe? No. Does he get a fly swatter? That's my weapon of choice. No. He gets a can of spray paint and a lighter. (laughs) Does he kill the spider? We have no idea because he burned his house down. Fear can make us act irrationally because you don't have to burn your house down to kill a spider. Although, sometimes it might be necessary. (laughs) Or you're just like, you know what? The house is yours. You have moved in. You're fine. Let's Let's talk about fear as we continue in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see the shift here? Like, David is referencing God before. He's saying he. Now he he makes it more personal. He's saying you. He's talking to God. Commentator Derek Kidner writes that the shepherd is no longer ahead to lead, but he's alongside to escort. And, And that's needed as David talks about walking through the darkest valley. The King James translates this verse in the more familiar, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Both translations can be appropriate. It literally does mean a deep darkness in the valley. Some of the writers suggest that this is talking about death. And the fear of death is a prominent fear we have. 
I've read some surveys though that the fear of death is actually second on the list to public speaking because people would rather die than get up and do this, I guess. Anyway, when do you hear this psalm the most? It's at funerals. Many times, that's the only time that we consider or even think about death. The fact that this life is on earth is going to end. And that can be a sobering thought that was terrifying for me when I wasn't following Jesus. But how's it worded here? In the darkest valley of the shadow of death. Darkness, it can be scary, right? Because you can't see a whole lot. But darkness itself cannot hurt you. Shadows can't hurt you. There was a late professor named, uh, or a late pastor named Donald Gray Barnhouse, and his first wife died. And when he was driving with his kids home from the funeral, one of the kids said, Daddy, I, I don't understand where did mommy go. I don't understand what it means that she died. Barnhouse was trying to figure out how to explain death to his kids when just then a truck passed by and cast a shadow over the car. And he looked back at the kids and he said, kids, would you have rather been hit by the truck or hit by the shadow? Of course, they said that they'd rather have been hit by the shadow because the shadow doesn't hurt. It just darkens things for a moment. And he goes on to say that, you know, that's how life is when you're going through death or how death is when you're going through it with Jesus. It's just a shadow. But without Jesus, it's like a truck. We don't have to fear death. It is a dark, shadowy valley. We don't really know what it's going to be like. But we do know that our shepherd is going to be there with us. Just as he guides us in life, he'll be with us in death. And we have no need to fear evil or otherwise. David writes that the shepherd has his tools with him. He's got his rod and his staff, and they bring comfort. Rod's a short but substantial heavy club that's used by shepherds to protect their flocks from dangers. Staff is what we normally think of with shepherds, you know, that long stick with the crook on top. It was used to guide and to lead the sheep. So God is there with us to guide us through the darkest valley to protect us as well as to be alongside of us as we go through it. And we're able to take comfort because we know that we are his. So I want to finish up this passage with the last two verses. As the scene changes from outside with the sheep to inside. First, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. We see, we move to see the Lord as host. Not just shepherd, but host. He prepares a table for David, but not only that, he's preparing a a table in the presence of David's enemies. He takes a threat and he turns it into triumph. One commentary states, David here subjects God's care to what we might call the ultimate test. He asserts that God's care cannot be negated or destroyed by these fierce enemies. David sees himself sitting at a banquet table while they gather all around, and while they threaten and snarl, he feasts. Such is the care of God. What we see here as well is that care is overflowing. It's an abundance. In those days, guests would be anointed with oil by their hosts and then given a cup of wine with the choice wine in order to demonstrate that there wasn't anything too good for guests. 
But God doesn't stop. He continues to fill the cup, but it overflows with his goodness, his care, his mercy, his love. And it never stops. Again, what do we have to fear? Our enemies? No. Like Paul writes in Romans 8, 31, he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? All of this, God is shepherd, now is host. It leads David to say in verse 6, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd. It's hard to understand God, creator of the universe and everything in it, becoming a shepherd, lowly shepherd. And yet, he did. In the Gospel of John, Jesus has what are called seven I am statements. One of these in John 10 is Jesus saying that he is the shepherd. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep by name, they know his voice, and he leads them. John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. He feeds them and he gives them rest. As we see in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. He protects his sheep. He lays down his life for them. Jesus has been through the darkest valley as well. Having died for our sins on the cross. He knows the path to lead us through it to a greater glory on the other side. The author of Hebrews calls Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep in Hebrews 13.20. Peter says he is the shepherd and guardian of your souls in 1 Peter 2.25. He also says that Jesus is the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5.4. I want to close with a story. Not sure if it actually happened, but it's a good story. It's a story of an actor who is asked to entertain one evening at a large dinner party. As the actor got up to speak, the room was filled with excitement as the guests were anticipating his message. He said he was going to recite the 23rd Psalm, and he did in a dramatic, eloquent manner. As soon as he had finished, the chamber roared with applause as the audience rose in a standing ovation. The next speaker of the evening was an elderly, white-haired man who was bowed and feeble and Worn by many years of steadfast, patient labor as a missionary. And a hush fell over the crowd as he got up and 
after a little bit of silence, he said humbly, I too would like to recite the shepherd's psalm. And then lifting his face slightly toward heaven, he closed his eyes and began, Lord is my shepherd. When he finished, you he could have heard a pin drop. There's no applause, no standing ovation, not a sound was heard, and yet throughout the room there wasn't a dry eye. Tears were flowing freely. Shortly afterwards, somebody approached the actor and said, I don't understand. You both said the same thing, but your presentation was perfect in every way. And yet when he spoke in his halting and perfect manner, people were moved too deeply for words. What made the difference? The actor hesitated a little bit, but then he replied, well, the answer is simple. I knew the 23rd Psalm and I knew it well, but he knows the shepherd." Do you know the shepherd today? If not, will you follow our Lord Jesus Christ? He, we who already know him and follow him, we walk in faith with him. We trust that he's going to lead us as the good shepherd that he is. But if you haven't followed him today, then, then I ask that you would. And that is what he calls you to as well. You hear his voice, you know his voice, because he is our shepherd. And he wants to lead you and lead you well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I has come in, in recognition of this psalm, this uh, shepherd's psalm. That it's, it is short, it's six verses. It, but it is so powerful to know that this is who you are, Lord, that you are our shepherd, that you will lead us, you will, you will lead us to green pastures, to still waters where we can find rest. You will revive us. You will lead us through the darkest valley as well. And we know this because of what your son did for us on the cross. That he went to that darkest valley, but then he came back. He came back so that we could go as well. And so, Lord, as we come to the point in our, our, um, at our service where we remember the sacrifice that was made by Jesus on the cross as we take communion, as we take the bread representing his body, as we take the juice representing his blood. And we just, for those of us who believe, we just want to take time today just to, just to sit in the, your presence, Lord, and to just, uh, just love you, Lord, for what you did for us. Help us to follow you well. Help us to know your voice and to follow you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.